Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well whenever and wherever you're listening to the show. I'm your host, Stephen Massey, Coast Guard vet, boy of destiny and overall shitbag, and you're listening to More Than War. This is a show that focuses on combat veterans and their stories. We often look at the military as a faceless organization and lose sight of the fact that all branches of the military, whether foreign or domestic, ally or enemy, are made up of individuals, each with their own backgrounds, experiences, paradigms, and stories. Stories that are often overlooked and stories that I think deserve to be heard. Um, uh, but these days I start throwing a trigger warning at the beginning of these episodes, just because, um, you know, might get into some stuff that's upsetting. We may not, you may listen to this whole episode with your fucking kids. I don't know. But, uh, my guest today is, uh, somebody I've known for a very, very long time, longer than I've known most people. Um, he didn't have this glorious of a beard the last time, uh, I spoke with him. But uh, <laughs> so today we have a, uh, a good friend of mine, Jordan Radway, and uh, we're going to get into it on this episode of More Than War. So I got to figure out something better to do with the theme music so we're not just staring at each other awkwardly as it plays. No, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. <laughs> it's a lot better than what I would come up with. <laughs> well, man, I appreciate you taking some time and uh, coming on and bullshitting with me tonight. I haven't talked to you and it's been a long ass time. Yeah, yeah, it has, but you know, it's okay. <laughs> I just text you when I need something. Right, exactly. There you go. And that's how old friends are. You're like, hey, it's Steven. What's he do? Yeah, I, I figured this is better than a, uh, hey, uh, I'm moving. I, you want to come help me move? It's, you know. Oh, God, I know. That's like the the uh, the end result of if you own a truck, that's what's <laughs> going to happen to you at least multiple times. Yeah. So I guess, uh, you know, jumping in this. So like I said in, in the intro, I've known you for a, a very long. I think you and um, and Joey and uh, another guy named Dave Clayton are the, probably the th- three people I've known longer than, than anybody else. But um, I realized, though, when uh, I was getting ready to do this tonight, like I know you from like high school on. Like I don't know shit yeah. about you prior to high school. You and Joey go back like way, way back. Yeah. So I guess, okay. So first I should say this, like I was homeschooled. So yeah, that's, that's, you know, everything pre, uh, pre-college for me was, uh, in, in a homeschool environment. So I think I spent like the first, I don't know, I was probably, I was in kindergarten. I think I got to first grade and then mom pulled me out. So that's kind of how that story went. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I was, I, I don't know, I was, I came from a good family, both parents are still together, and, you know, of course, we're together at the time, um, I guess, by today's standards, it would be a big family, so I had two brothers and a sister, yep. we lived way out in the country, so there wasn't a lot to do other than just build stuff, and explore, and play around in the woods, um, and then uh, I was a Boy Scout for a long time, and so that was, that and church, 
were basically my only um, outside of the home activities. Right. And so that made up the majority of me growing up. Um, like I said, I don't have a, I, I don't really have a lot of complaints. I had a great family yeah. and very supportive. Obviously, the homeschool thing. We were a tight knit group. So, so yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, I, I entered into that. How old? Like, like 15, 16? We decided to have a really, really, really shitty band. Yes, yes. <laughs> so yeah, so we, uh, so I, I'm not even sure exact. I think we met through a homeschool group or yeah. something. And um, I didn't know how to play anything. I think you and you and Joe may have been the only people that actually knew how to play anything. Yeah. Um, and not well. And Right. Right. <laughs> That's how it goes. And so, uh, I think I got, I think I, I, of course was the drummer in the band, but I, I, I feel like I've always kind of felt like I just got that position by default because nobody else wanted to do it <laughs> or it was left over whatever way you want to look at it. We just, um, we just want a time. But to yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Nice. So, you know, being, being a teenager, that's like being in a band, even, even if you're terrible, which yeah. was, you know, in our case, uh, it doesn't matter because you're still in a band and that makes it cool. <laughs> right. And sad, sadly enough, there ended up being like two iterations of that fucking band. Yeah. Well, we changed our name like two or three times. Yep. Um, well, we took a hiatus. Swapped I, out people. I, I moved down to Florida. And, uh, you know, did the whole Bible school thing for me. And so then when uh, first wife and I split the fuck up is when uh, I moved back and we started playing again. Yep. Yep. And I think at that time I was I was in college at that time. Mm -hmm. I had my own apartment. Well, me and a roommate had our own apartment. And so we had space to play and nothing really else to do. Yeah. Dude, I remember that uh, that spot that you guys were renting uh, off of downtown there. Yeah, I've still got the keys to that apartment, actually, <laughs> in a in a box somewhere. That's awesome. A lot of a lot of World so, of Warcraft yeah. and uh, and early early signs of yes. alcoholism went on in that uh, in that place. You know, when you get out from under mom and dad's roof, that's I guess that's how it goes. Yeah, is uh. You're like, I'm going to go buy a bottle of Jack because I'm a man now. <laughs> yeah, especially when you've grown up um, in a pretty regulated background. For better or for worse, that's not saying negative about it, but when you've been restricted and suddenly you have this freedom and for whatever reason, especially like when I came back, I was so disgruntled and it was just like, you know what? Just, just fuck it, I'm doing this, you know, type of thing. Yeah, well, and it is, you know, as soon as you kind of, and I think that's pretty normal for most people, as soon as you strike out on your own, it's like the first couple of things you do is stuff you weren't never allowed to do. Yeah. So I think, I think like the moment I got the keys to my own apartment, I probably went to the video store, you know, when there was such a thing and probably rented some terrible movie that I wasn't <laughs> supposed to rent or something. <laughs> right. It's oh, like, man. I gotta, I gotta catch up on childhood here. <laughs> big, big we'll, old seven. We'll, yeah, I'm gonna start off with the Simpsons, and then we're going from there. <laughs> yes, um, you know what? I actually would just remember like one of the biggest dick moves. I think that 
I shouldn't say anybody's ever pulled, but it was still a pretty amazingly, it was a great, it's, I laugh about it to this day, but I'd come over, it was one of those stupid hot days, and I was like, oh man, I'm thirsty, you have any water or anything? And you're like, yeah, I got a, there's a big jar of it, it's cold in the in the fridge, and I was like, all right, sweet, and I took a big drink of that shit, and it was just moonshine, straight the fuck up moonshine, and um, and I was like, ah, I gotta go home, and I remember getting about halfway, three quarters of the way home, and started getting really fucked up, ended up having to go home and go to bed. God, yeah, I, you know, looking back on that, I probably should not have let you drive home. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, in, in retrospect, I do have to say it was well played, sir. It's very well played. Yeah, I, you know, it's clear, right? Like you can't tell. And if it's in a jar, what do you know? Yeah, not, not, I mean, it was like proper old school moonshine too. Like the stuff the old guys drink out of the thimbles. Yeah, you know, there's still a lot of that around in Tennessee. So it's, (laughs) it's there. (laughs) Excuse me. So, um, one thing I don't think I've asked you. So, I mean, growing up, you and I, I said, we're got out of the house. Um, I moved off for a while. I got divorced and came back. Um, you were kind of plugging away and, and, you know, you were in uh, school there and doing some stuff, but what was the point? And we might've talked about this before. It was just, it's very long time ago, but, um, when you decided to enlist, like what? What was that chain of events, if if you don't mind sharing? Oh, and you yeah, can be no, I think, <laughs> I think, I think you and me. So, I think actually you proposed the question, or 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 sent it up to me, like, hey, I, I've I've got to do something different. Like I'm, and I don't know exactly how this went, but so the, I guess I should rewind. So you know the mil- So being a Boy Scout, growing up in the woods. Um, living in small town America, not having a lot of options. There's there's a lot going on there, right? Yeah. So the the military, in some fashion, was in the cards for me, or at least as an option. Mm-hmm. It, at least it was there. And um, I think I think you had mentioned it at one time, and it kind of got the wheels turning a little bit. Um. But what really stuck out for me, so I was working at a uh, at the local airport as oh, fuck, that's an right. apprentice. Yeah, yeah, as an apprentice as an aircraft mechanic. So I was going to do some on the job training for what's called your AMP certification mm-hmm. or Alpha and Papa certification, and basically that's airframe and power plant. And so I was I was working for cheap, learning as much as I could at the local. At, at the local airport. And there was a guy there named Mike Faulkner. I had to think about that. And Mike was prior Navy. And one day we were, we were working, I was working on an aileron and Mike was doing something around the aileron. And it was a small Cessna we were working on anyway. Um, he, he had mentioned just out of the blue, I think it was, it may have been very close to his birthday or just after his birthday, but anyway, none of that's important. The important part is that he said, do you know what today is? And I said, no, Mike, I have no idea what today is. And he said, if I would have stayed in the Navy, I would have retired today. And I looked at Mike and Mike was 38 at that time. So he would have, you know, essentially joined his 18, did his 20. 
And I guess I realized, number one, I did not have my shit together. Yeah. And number two, that Mike was still very young. Mm-hmm. And the thought of retiring at that age, I don't know. It was just like a, it was like a wake up call. Like somebody smacked me in the face. Like it was a wake up call. And so I started looking up recruiters Mm -hmm. and started trying to pull some options together. And I I think that made, made up my mind for me. Yeah. Um, I think that was, I think that was it. That was kind of the beginning. So credit to Mike Faulkner. Nice. And I know that we had talked about, like I said, I, you know, me, I have the worst memory for like, I remember patches and whatever, but I know that we had talked about it because I went to the Coastie recruiter and I know you had gone as well, but, um, so we both were looking at that, but didn't they, you had like a tattoo on your back and this is before the Coast Guard had changed some tattoo policies or some shit. And you had like the top of like a, a little bitty piece above the collar, um, of a t-shirt, yeah. not a button up shirt. Yeah, I had forgotten about that. So, yeah, we ended up, I think you had been to the recruiter, and then you probably gave me his name or something. Anyway, we ended up going to the recruiter, and the conversation was great. You know, I had good grades. I had a clean background. I was everything the Coast Guard could want. And I got up to leave after shaking hands and saying, yeah, this is great. Let's go to MEPS or whatever. And he just was like, whoa, stop. He said, is that a tattoo or something along those lines? And he just, you know, pulled the back of my collar down a little bit and was like, man, we can't, we can't take you. I'm sorry. Yeah. And it's like, damn, like if I would have worn a collared shirt, would that have made a difference? I don't know. Like it's kind of wild though. Yeah. It was weird. And if it's the same guy, remember he was pretty stringent on like the specific rules and and regs. Cause I mean, after I got in, you know, you see dudes with, with whatever, I don't know if that, but I know they changed regs and stuff like that, but, but that basically is what set you on course, um, to the army. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially where you went from there for the most part. So I, I didn't want to be in the Navy because I didn't want my title to be seaman. Right. And so yeah, that was an instant no go for me. Right. And I thought the, I thought the air force was, you know, a bunch of jack offs. So I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a part of this. <laughs> Uh, that was just my perception, right? This is this is a kid who has no grounding, has no has has no uh, framework for what he's talking about. This is just preconceived stuff, right, right. right? That you see. So my my knowledge of the army or any service at that point was whatever Hollywood had given me, right? And so I just I went to the army, and the army was desperate for people, and they said. Yeah, you know, you can get a sign-on bonus. We get the most money from Congress. We've got more tanks, more planes, more ships. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's recruiters. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so I went down to the recruiting station and uh, and basically said I want to join. It's probably the easiest recruit they ever got. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember because you, you end up uh, shipping out for boot before I did because I took you to Nashville um, the last night before. Yeah, Max. you did. And uh, I won't disclose. Yep. I, I don't know you know, who you're going to share or not share, but we had a, we had a good evening the, the last time that you. It was a, gr- <laughs> it was a great send-off. I will, I will agree. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, especially considering we were, you know, how sheltered I was growing up, it yeah. was a great send-off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so went to the hotel that night, 
uh, got up that, you know, the army put you up in a really nice hotel. Like this is going to be your life from here on out. It's just all a trap. Don't listen to them. But <laughs> the, we ended up going, uh, I ended up getting up in the morning and you know, the bus is going to be there to pick us up. And I, I eat this massive breakfast cause it's free. So I'm chowing down on it. And I ended up drinking like two or three glasses of orange juice. <laughs> and that's not important other than the fact of, when they drew my blood at MEPS, they said, Oh, are you, you're a diabetic. It's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> so I had to wait around at MEPS all day, waiting and just pounded water just to wait for my glucose levels to drop. <laughs> also, as a side note, if you're ever going to join, drive your own car. Don't let, don't let anybody drive you <laughs> so you can leave. <laughs> Did you, when you, so, after you uh, went into MEPS and stuff, was there ever a moment of like, yeah, I shouldn't have done this? Or were you pretty gung-ho up and up, up, up until the, uh, you just stepped off the bus? Uh, you know, the only, the only time I ever had second thoughts is I was sitting down on a bench with other recruits. And there were these, there were these two pretty decent looking girls and they were going to the Navy oh, and it's like, I was mm, going to guess air force, but maybe no. Yeah. I was like, maybe I should be joining the Navy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but other than that, no, I was, I was in it a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I was, uh, yeah, I don't think I really ever had any of the same. I was pretty like, but you and I have always been pretty after we decide that something we're going to do. That's what, what we do. Right. It doesn't, uh, not a lot of dissuasion after we've, thought it through to that point when action starts getting taken yeah yeah no exactly that's it's that's well like you said that's kind of been a lie so yeah and and you i have to say are much more like be i mean determined like when you've pieced everything together and you've got your angle and and you've decided that this is the best course of action to take you're not dissuading fucking jordan radway that shit's hell or high water is, <laughs> is what he's going to accomplish yeah, well, I appreciate it. It's it's definitely a nice thing to say. Some people would call that other words, but yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, did you pick, um, and I'm trying to remember, because you may have told me this before, but did you get to uh, choose your job prior to boot, or was that something that you did after? Like, I, I'm not quite sure, because for me, I had the option, but the, the, my recruiter was like, you don't want to go straight to school. You want to go in the fleet first. Otherwise, everybody's going to call you a bitch. So I was like, all right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I, uh, so they gave me, they gave me like four choices. Um, so I did get to pick. They gave me, I could be a, an MP, which I was like, I don't want to be a cop. Like, that sounds dumb. And so, that or I could go into I could be a truck driver or I could be a fuel handler, and I think that was it. No, or, or I could do laundry, which <laughs> yeah, that one's out. <laughs> so I didn't have I didn't have a lot of choices, and I'll tell you why. During my examination, they found out I was red green colorblind, uh-huh. and that killed. So I had great scores, right? So my ASVABs were were great because I was a smart kid. Yeah. So, like, I had great scores. I had the background. I could do basically anything I wanted to, but that colorblind thing hurt bad. And so, basically, they gave me those options. And so, 
being a truck driver had the highest bonus. And so that's what I went with yeah. because it was like, sure. Why not? Nice. Um, so yeah, I picked that. Okay. Terrible decision, by the way. <laughs> so, so then, uh, as far as the, the, the school for that, so you got get through boot camp, which I'm guessing you probably didn't have any, have any major issues with, were you one of the old guys? Like, cause for me, I think I was like 26 or 28. And so I was one of like the old fucks at boot camp when I was going through in my company. Yeah, I wasn't. So the army was offering, well, I'm, I'm extrapolating on this. The army was offering such good bonuses that there were actually a fair amount of older guys. I was not the oldest. Yeah. I was probably on the younger end which is kind of surprising. I mean, there's some 18 year olds right. and things like that there too, but, but for the most part, I was kind of on the younger end of the spectrum. Um, although I wasn't the youngest, right. But, uh, yeah, so I went through boot camp or uh, basic training and that was, it was easy. I mean, everything we did in basic training I had done before save like some of the live fire exercises. Right. Yeah. Um, like, being, I, I, I guess I was fortunate enough that I had a very active and very, um, I guess you could say cutting edge Boy Scout troop, maybe you could say that. So like the repelling that we did in basic training, I had done like twice that before. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't afraid of heights. I knew how to repel. I knew how to camp. I knew how to ruck. Right. Um, I knew how to do all of these things cause I'd been doing them since I was like 12 right. plus growing up in Tennessee, that doesn't hurt either. Right. So basic was pretty easy. I thought, yeah. um, I wasn't, I was not a good runner. So that took some time. Um, but I mean, other than that, I was, I was pretty decent, I guess. Yeah. Um, wasn't, wasn't super crazy. Yeah. And then I, I, uh, I ended up of course, graduating boot camp or graduating basic and then went to AIT, which is our, like our, school you learned your job at yeah and um and that was i mean it's truck driving like that was pretty it was pretty easy right yeah um so i did that part and um then my follow-on assignment i got fort campbell kentucky with 101st airborne and um so i got on a plane and flew to kentucky which was crazy because that's like in reality, Fort Campbell is like two and a half hours from my from my home, from right. where I grew up. And so for me, it was almost like going back home. Like I was very familiar with Nashville. I was yeah. very familiar with all the area. So for me, it was it was easy. Um, yeah. So I ended up my first unit. I, so I get to I get to uh, I get to the hundred and first. Do some in processing. Find my unit. Um, and I ended up being assigned to the second of the five Oh second of the five Oh six Fox company, which was a forward support unit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we flew under a blue flag. We were, we weren't infantry per se, but we, uh, were embedded with the infantry. So that was cool. Um, and honestly it was my first look at everything. So I didn't really know. I didn't really know anything different. Like I didn't realize that that being a truck driver was not that cool. <laughs> and I was kind of, I was kind of viewed as not that great. Right? <laughs> right, right. So, but you know, we were under a blue flag, which means you're infantry. And, uh, and that was a big, that was a big fun thing. And, 
And, uh, you know, turns out the second of the 506, that's the Band of Brothers unit. Okay. And so there was all this this pumping they were doing with us, right? They're like, you're part of the Band of Brothers, and you've got this legacy, and there's all this stuff that went with it, which was cool. Okay. You know, they're pumping us up. So nothing wrong with that, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I, I get to Fort Campbell, and I think I got into Fort Campbell January of of 2006 and by mid to maybe the end of February, I was in Iraq. Yeah. Like it was, I had like four weeks or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. So that was, that was a quick turnaround for me. Yeah. Like I, I didn't know it was going to go that quickly. I guess yeah, is the best way sure. to say it. Yeah. What does that but like? When, would, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, I was just, you know, I was stoked to go. I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. It was a little scary, but, you know, that's what I signed up for. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I guess I was just going to ask, like, in that situation, again, because I, I know you, like, when you got that information, like, was that, like, an instant call home, or could you even call home? Was it just a, you're on the, you know, you're up and go? Like, do you have a lot of notice in that time when you start getting mobilized? Yeah, in this case, we did. So, my unit had already been deployed and they had been downrange for like, I don't know, two or three months, yeah. something like that. Pretty fresh. Um, I actually, I think it was like two months. So I was late. So it was me and like three or four other guys that were going with me. And we were all fresh out of basic, fresh out of AIT going to, you know, going to meet our unit. And there was nobody around yeah. like, so we didn't really, it was just a bare bones crew back, back at Fort Campbell. So we didn't really have a lot of interaction with anybody that we were going to see again yeah, or anybody that we were going to see in the future. I guess maybe it's the best way to say it. We didn't know. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I was able to call home, um, you know, went out for dinner, mom and dad, of course, mom's crying and it's yeah, a yeah. mess, but that's, that's what happened. So, but it was fine. It was fine. I was okay with it because, you know, you kind of figured that's what was because the war had already kicked off. It wasn't like right. I got a notice that's like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're invading Iraq. Like, <laughs> we were already in Iraq. Yeah, we yeah, knew yeah. this. Well, yeah, you knew that was coming on the pipeline. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, like, what was uh, when you get over there and you get going, like, What's that? Is there any way to describe or if you want to like the feeling the first time you get behind the wheel of one of those fucking trucks out in the, you know, when you're, when you're out and you're, you're getting into the shit. I mean, it's gotta be like for a young, cause we were older going in, but that's still some shit, man. That would, it's gotta be a little <laughs> pucker factor as they say. Yeah. So I never drove any trucks. Okay. Um, I got on ground. It took us a while to get to our, to our base. Cause we landed in Kuwait, which is the staging right. staging point. And you just kind of bounced around from base to base until you got to the base you were supposed to be going right. to. Um, and that took like a week. But but anyway, but after that, um, I got to my unit and they asked me what I wanted to do. And I probably said something dumb, like, I want to do the most dangerous or the hardest thing you can give me. Right. And, and so they put me in a, in the gunner's turret 
and so that's what I did the whole time is I was a gunner. Yeah. And so I did a lot of standing. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a pretty, deterrent. I, that's a pretty unexpected shift, especially if you weren't really wanting to be a truck. It was just kind of like the, the most money for the thing. And then getting to do kind of shift. That's uh is that a pretty common thing or do you, or is it something you just kind of thought worked out in your advantage? Well, I think it was common early on. So you got to remember that like, so the, the, the invasion force for Iraq was the third infantry division. Mm-hmm. And then the, the 101st airborne were their relieving force. And so we were the second rotation in, right. I guess is the best way to say it. So there were still a lot of hot things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time we got there, I forget there was, there was a wall in the dining room in the, in the deep, what we call the deep factor where you, you know, where you eat at. Um, and it was filled with pictures of guys they lost. Yeah. And so it was pretty sobering. Like, so you go ahead and see that. So the war was still serious at this point. Right. Um, and so I think, I think at that stage of the conflict, you were just filling a slot. Yeah. It really didn't matter. I talked to guys who were, who were, um, who were truck drivers, of course, who were infantry guys, who were mortarmen, who were field artillery. Everybody was basically doing the same job, which is you get out and you patrol and look for bad guys. Yeah, absolutely. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. And and forgive me for asking any stupid question, man. I'm just trying to cover things that anybody would, you know, might be asking the situation. So. Uh, and obviously, like I, I realized, I worded that poorly. It wasn't like, "Were you happy you got to do other stuff?" Like that wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was happy. I was. I was glad. So the, I tell you the crazy part about it: the air conditioners never worked inside the Humvee. Oh yeah. And and so if you're sitting in a Humvee, number one, you got all this body armor on, and it starts pinching your spine. And so you, sure, you're protected, but if stuff goes bad, like it's going to be kind of hard to get out. <laughs> um, and at least I had, yeah, I had to deal with all the dirt and the grime, but at least I had fresh air moving. Yeah. You know, that's true. And so it's not, I mean, when you given your, given your circumstances, it's like, okay, this isn't that bad. <laughs> right. So how, how long did you do? If I remember correctly, did you go over twice? Was it two tours? If I remember right, or is it just the one? Yeah. So I was a late comer to the first tour, which was, which was, uh, it ended up being nine months for me, uh, because the 12 month rotation, I came in about three months late. So about nine months and I got orders in Iraq to go back to Iraq. Like, I don't know, nine months later or something like that. So the date was like nine months out or six months out, something like that. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I ended up redeploying back to the states. We had a thirty-day kind of like cool-off period where you basically recuperate and whatever else. And then I transferred to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and got in with a field artillery unit. And no, let me take that back. It was a brigade support battalion underneath the field artillery unit, so a BSB. And then redeployed for 15 months. And that was awful. Yeah. Because at that point in time, 
so I did. So essentially my tour was almost all of 06 and then half of 07 and 08. But the second time around, we were stationed in what has been or what has come to be known as the green zone. So it's like where the embassy is and where Saddam's palaces were and all this stuff. And that was awful because there was not a day that went by that you felt like you were completely useless. Like you were not making any. I, I mean, I'm sure in the grand scheme of things, you were making an impact, right. but I sure didn't feel that way. Yeah. Um, and plus it's 15 months and I mean, a year deployed is one thing, but you start getting over that year mark and everything changes. Like you miss two Christmases in a row or two birthdays or, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. It's, it's a different story. And so by the end of it, you're, you're going crazy. Yeah. Like, especially if you don't have anything that you feel like is meaningful or impactful. Mm -hmm. So as, as a truck driver, my job was to, I had a bunch of Iraqis that worked under me. Great guys, by the way. And you really see the impact of war and what, and what that has on people, because these guys were like, like one of the guys that I say worked for me, one of my workers, I guess is the best way to say it. So these guys, when I call them workers, these guys drove trucks and because I was a truck driver, I oversaw them and their loads throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And so my job was to basically load these guys up with whatever outgoing shipments needed to be made and send them on their way. But I never got to leave the wire. I had to stay in the fog, which sounds great, you know, to some people, I guess. But for me, it was torture yeah. because... I never got to do anything and you work these 12 hour, 15 hour shifts and you never, you never go anywhere yeah, or, or you never really do anything. And all you do is just supervise a load. It gets, it gets loaded up. These guys do all the work. Mm -hmm. You just stand there and supervise. Yeah. And it was the worst job ever. Yeah. Like I hated it. Yeah. And so, but you did, you really got to realize that these guys, like some of them, one of the guys that, that was my, one of my workers was a, uh, he was like former Saddam or former Iraqi army. I say Saddam military's Iraqi army. He fought in the Kuwait war, the Kuwait invasion. Mm -hmm. um, another guy that worked for me um, was a biochemist, like a very smart guy. Yeah. But when your economy goes to shit and everything you know is basically blown up and destroyed, your whole infrastructure has been demolished. Yeah you do whatever you can to make money for sure. And so these guys were driving trucks because that's what they had or that's what they could get. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot better than not having a job. And so, you know, it's realities of war. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a dumb comparison, but it makes me think of like you saying stuff like that about where we are now about companies having a hard time finding people to fucking work, even though, I mean, there's, it might not be glorious. I mean, like, again, you guys say you have a chemical engineer that's driving a truck because they need a job and there's nothing wrong with that. And you guys, you have kids here. They're like, Oh, I need a job. I need money, but you won't go fucking work at Starbucks for $15 an hour because it's beneath you somehow. I don't understand. Yeah, <laughs> I don't either. I think so. 
right now, and this is a whole nother topic, but I right know, now I think the labor rabbit trail. <laughs> no, it's cool. Like right now, the the labor force participation rate I think is like sixty three percent right now, something like that. And so, if you want to work and you can show up every day, you have a job, yeah. and you have a job that's actually going to pay you pretty decent, right? Or at least far decent than what I got paid growing up, and it wasn't that long ago. And um, not only that, but we're seeing, and this is another sidebar, but we're seeing, we're seeing that silver tsunami that we were warned about years and years ago when all the boomers start retiring, mm. right? And that's what's happened. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, for most boomers, let's say this time last year, right? Your house is worth more than it ever has been mm-hmm. in your life. Your 401k looks better than it ever has in your whole life. You survived the 2008 housing crisis. You ended up putting off retirement for whatever reason, because you know you felt like you didn't have enough cash to sustain you or whatnot. Yeah. And then the market looks better than it's ever looked before. And so you sell your house and you move to Florida and you retire. Mm-hmm. And that's what a shit ton of people have done. <laughs> and that's one reason we don't have, I mean, the Starbucks thing is also true, Yeah. but Oh yeah, yeah. We we are really seeing the demographics just fall through the floor. No, oh, for sure. And so, there's going to be jobs out there. If you want work, there's work to be had. Yeah, you just got to go get it. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And, and whether, regardless of uh, if if you're going to like the work, I think that's a big thing too. Just on a uh, on a personal level, I think a lot of people well, they don't want to do something that's not something that they love or something that makes them happy or something that it fulfills their passions. I'm like, bitch, you got to pay your rent. <laughs> go, go, go get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's, there is a certain, like, there's a floor, like you have to be able to do a certain amount of things Yeah. yeah. other than live with mom and dad. Yeah. Absolutely. And so there, there is a point, like every day you go to work is not going to be a great day. I don't know who told you that, but it's not going to be a great day. <laughs> right. Like you're going to wake up and be like, damn, this sucks. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. To, to me, you just have but, to find something not necessarily that you love, but something that you're good at, or at least good enough at to, to make money with it, you know? Yeah. And at least tolerate it until you find something that is yeah. better yeah, for sure. or something that you do want to do. Because yeah. like, I didn't grow up until I was like 35. Yeah. Right. So, and that was like, it was like six years ago. So <laughs> technically, I guess I became an adult in 18, but I didn't grow up until, you know, six years ago. Oh, for sure. So there's a lot of that too, especially with young men. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I guess rain, raining it back in a little bit, like with me and you a rabbit trail. All yeah. day. Like I know, I know how this goes, but, um, so the the second tour um so which one do you think um did you feel like one affected you more than the other or is it more of like after the first deployment like you're in the shit you've seen some shit and just going back is just like is it harder not doing anything after being in that type of environment the first time around or um does that make i guess the doing nothing harder if that makes sense or is it just uh like what's the What's the effect of those two, the differences in those two things on you? Yeah, I think it, you know, like all good answers, it kind of depends. Um, I think the the first one made me, it made me really proud of what we had accomplished. And, and I felt like I earned, I felt like I earned everything I walked away with. 
yeah. being, you know, whatever medals, whatever time, whatever glories involved in that, your stripes and tour and all that. Yeah. Um, because you had to work hard for it, and right. you had to work hard every day for it, and that was a that was a big difference. And you know, and there's a lot of things that that just they don't phase you. I mean, when they're, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like I was shot at every day. No, no, no. But, you know, when you, when you do go out and you do experience actual danger mm -hmm. where you actually could die and, you know, you get blown up or you get shot at or, or whatnot, it, there's just a lot of stuff in regular life, especially regular life in America mm -hmm. that just falls away. Because it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Uh, because nobody's dying, right. essentially. Yeah. And so, and then the doing nothing part, it it made me realize that I was in the wrong job, and that for the foreseeable future, this is what I could look forward to, mm -hmm. which was not, which was not acceptable for me. Right. I couldn't do it any longer. So, uh, so yeah. Yeah. So then you, you came back after that second deployment and did you shift up what you were doing? Like, what was the transition there? Yeah, I, I realized actually I, I told my platoon leader at the time. So I got promoted to Sergeant in, in the second tour. Um, and I told my platoon leader that I couldn't take it anymore and I wanted to get out. Like I didn't want to be in the army if this is the way the army was going to be. And I told him basically the same stuff that I've said here, which is truck driving's kind of, it's not for me. Right. Um, and this guy was probably one of the crookedest people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and he said, why don't you join CID? And I was like, CID, what's that? And he said, it's a, it's the cops, like the FBI for the army. And that was his, that was his version of it. I was, I was like, okay, well, that sounds cool. Maybe I could do something like that. And so I went back, we redeployed home and I, I started looking around for different, different opportunities. And so I went to the local CID office and said, Hey, I want to, I want to join CID. I want to reclass. And, you know, they're like, sure. What's your name? Blah, blah, blah. And they took down some information and, uh, Anyway, I ended up going in to talk to the first sergeant there, what, what, which was called, technically, they were called a detachment sergeant. So I went into the detachment sergeant and uh, talked to them about, about what I wanted to do and about how I just really wasn't happy and I wanted to do something different. And so we put together a, a packet to, to reclass. And after about six months, I was accepted. And so I uh, went to Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri to train as a CID agent. Nice. And, and so um, is it, was it a pretty accurate uh, <clears throat> description that your platoon leader gave you, basically being the, uh, the FBI of the Army? I, you know, I guess as much as he was aware of. Um, <laughs> like, is it, I mean, there's a lot. is it more of an internal um, type of thing, not... Uh, not like MPs. I, I get that it's a, a very different from that, but is it more of like an internal investigation? Is it external investigations? Is it a little bit of both? 
Yeah, it's a little bit of both. So what it what it basically means is uh, the army has to have what they call a nexus, and so a nexus being that whatever whatever reason we're there, it has to connect back to the army in some way. Mm -hmm. So meaning that it has to be a service member that's involved. Right. It has to have happened on army property, something along those lines. Yeah. And so yeah, it's all it's all federal level investigation. So you're not pulling people over to write them a speeding ticket like you're you're working sex drugs and murder yeah and and all of the all of the ugly things and so that's uh that's what i did um and it was i loved it it was great because there again you know you feel like you're actually doing something you're like you have some sort of an impact that's tangible yeah well, that's that's one thing that I kind of joked about or made alluded alluded to earlier. Is, um, you are like one of the most purpose driven people that I've ever known, and like for you, like for the most part, of big stuff. Like if there's no purpose behind it, you really lose interest in it pretty quick. Like you you very much like to. I shouldn't even say maybe need to have, but at least like to have a purpose for whatever endeavor you're you're on. At least when we were younger, that you did. Now you might be like, "Fuck it, I just want to sit back and sit on the porch." I don't, I don't know, you know. <laughs> no, it's not that far from that. I mean, I, I don't know. It, I gotta have some sort of motivation to do it. Like I'm always out working on projects, or I've always got something going on. Mostly because I just get bored. Yeah. And I gotta have something to hold my attention. And so, if it's not worth doing, then it's not worth. It, it won't hold my attention. Right. I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah. So I guess maybe it's not as noble as you made it out to be, but no, that, but that's what uh, I meant by purpose. I guess I, I don't mean to attribute it to like this grand purpose, but I mean, if it does have a person, like some, like a directive, something that's holding your attention, a reason for you to do it, you don't fucking want to do it or you don't do it long. <laughs> yeah. I lose interest very easily. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, um <laughs> so, I just got completely distracted in my own mind. I was about to make a joke about my first wife, but um, <laughs> the uh, um, so do you feel like that time? Because and you did that basically the rest of your time in, correct? Like that would and that I did. Yeah. Um, did you find that to be um, trying to ask this pretty pretty vaguely, but um, because of the lot of stuff that you got involved in and, and had to be a part of investigating was a lot of that more difficult than what you had to deal with in, in combat when you were deployed the first time around. Yeah. Um, so the thing about the thing about combat is you can, okay. So like if somebody pops up on a rooftop and starts, you know, taking shots at you or you're driving along and, and there's an explosion and, and I'm just, yeah, this is just experience, but you know, like I, we, we were driving along one time and there was a, uh, there was a, a roadside bomb. It grant, it was not that big, but it was enough to stop the convoy and it, it hit my truck. Um, nobody got injured, which, you know, thank God for that. Um, but as soon as it, as soon as that happened, everybody just kind of got out of the vehicles and started looking for damage. Like, and these are like majors and colonels mm -hmm. piling out of the vehicles and like, like kicking the tires in a combat zone. <laughs> we just got blown up. Yeah. And like, and, and they're like, it, just like if you got in a fender bender at Costco, like, what are you guys <laughs> doing? 
And all of a sudden, this Toyota pulls up and starts laying down fire. <laughs> and everybody's like diving in the vehicles, trying to get away from being shot. And so it's like, you guys are morons. <laughs> and anyway, it's just, you know, so you see something. So anyway, I guess the best way to say it is like, you see some things like that happen, but there's an enemy. Right. Like there's a bad guy who's doing bad things and you can take that person out. Right. And at the end of the day, you can be like, you know, you made this choice to do this. This is all on you. Yeah. With, with crime, it's different. Yep. Because with crime, there's a perpetrator and there's a victim mm -hmm. the majority of the time. Yeah. And, you know, there was a lot of times where you would see, um, I guess the hardest ones were like neglect cases on children. Yeah. And, and you'd have to carry that body to the autopsy room. Yeah. And you'd be there while they dissected this child. Yeah. And, and tried to determine the cause of death. And that is, that's crazy. Yeah. Because like you're holding, you're holding the hand of a, of a baby that's under two. And this is not just a one-time thing. This, this right. happens more often than not, or well, I shouldn't say that it happens more often than it should. Yeah. And sometimes it's just a freak accident. Um, I worked a case one time where a baby got tangled up in the, uh, in the blind, the cords that come down from blinds. It was a toddler. Yeah. And the toddler was just walking along the side of the wall, you know, doing what toddlers do, trying to learn how to walk. Somehow grabbed the, the blind cords, ended up twisting around his neck and suffocating him to death. Damn. He hung himself on the blinds. Yeah. And, you know, some shit like that, you go back home and you cut all the cords immediately. Yeah. Like, that's the first thing you do when you come home. Yeah. And it's just, it's just stuff like that. Like, it's a different, it's a different type of yeah. suffering, I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so those, those things kind of stick with you. Um, you know, domestic assault cases can be really nasty sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you'll walk into a house and the walls are, I wouldn't say they're painted, but there's, there's yeah. blood splatter everywhere Yeah, and it's a mess and you find the victim and you can't tell what, what ethnicity she is. Yeah. Because she's too beat up. Yeah. And so that changes you. Yeah. Um, because it's not like it's somebody who picked up a gun and tried to shoot at you. Right. It's somebody who just is in a bad situation. Right. And it's just a different type of, a different type of bad, yeah. I guess is the best way to say it. No, I, I, I gotcha. I mean, I, I'm, damn. So, from there and, and, and that point, um, what was the, how long were you in, in, in that, uh, in that arena, in that job? Um, so I did that from 2008 to 2018. So 10 years. Okay. Um, and I, I worked, uh, you know, I worked, uh, federal crimes, like I said, sex, death, murder and all that. Yeah. And uh, I ended up getting deployed to Afghanistan to work war crimes. I did that for six months. Oh, shit. Um, 
yeah, that was that was fun. I actually enjoyed that a lot more than um, yeah than my second deployment. Number one, I was actually excited to go to Afghanistan because I'd never been. Um, but Afghanistan was it was not Iraq. Like it's it was much different. Yeah. Um, so uh, there was you know you're dealing with crazy mountains and and the mountains are they're all high desert mountains. So there's nothing growing out there. Yeah. And so, you know, you you would go out and and we got uh, we got put in with a um, a couple different special forces units, not because we were there to help them. We were there to investigate them. Right. So <laughs> so knowing knowing the guy that's across the table could could probably like slit your throat and faster than you could blink. Yeah. You know, that's kind of sobering sometimes. <laughs> um. And we ended up doing some crazy stuff. Like we, uh, uh, we did a, a 30 day, we wrote me and a, a, one of my partners ended up writing the curriculum for, um, the training curriculum for what would become the Afghan version of secret service. So oh, they wow. would protect the prime minister. Yeah. So that's cool. You know, yeah. it's uh, it was interesting. And so we, we, we wrote the book for it and kind of sent that off as the first crop of, Afghani secret service agents, yeah. if you want to call it that. I, um, so that was cool. Um, and that tour only lasted about six months though. Yeah. Um, so that wasn't, that wasn't a long tour. And then I came back and, um, yeah. And then just, you know, I did a couple different duty stations, did a couple different things and then ended up, um, ended up basically having a midlife crisis yeah. and, and got out. That's what I was about to ask you. What? Because uh, I do remember in the seeing you sometime in the middle of that. I don't know time frame, but at that point, you were smoking like three fucking packs a day. I was like, holy shit! Because I smoked a lot, but you were crushing the nicotine. But um, so what? <laughs> that was just a, a, a side note. I just remember being because I was smoking like a pack and a half, two packs a day, and you're like, yeah, I smoked like three, and I'm like, well, fuck, man, that's impressive. Not in a good way, but you know. But uh, yeah. so, so what was, uh, I was going to ask you as far as getting out, was there a, sp a specific moment or just had, like you said, midlife crisis, got a breakdown, just needed to get change of scenery. Like what was the, the catalyst there? Yeah. So I think I had, um, I think I had realized two things. I think I had realized. So number one, I was up for promotion for E7. So um, I, I guess in the Coast Guard, that's like chief status or something. Yeah. Um, so I was so so I was on the list. I'd been selected. I had my number. I was just waiting in the queue right. for my month to roll around. And so, you know, the Army promotes like X amount of people every month. And I was going to be in a batch sometime in the future. Right. Um, I also realized that I was burned out, mm -hmm. that I, I couldn't that that the law enforcement world was not for me anymore. Mm -hmm. And one reason is the law enforcement world had changed so drastically in that time frame. Um, and then the second thing I realized is that my marriage was completely a lie and that essentially everything that I had hoped was going to happen you know, any of the difficulties that I had tried to work through 
they just they just weren't going to resolve themselves. Right. And you know, just to, to make a long story short, my my then wife basically uh, was addicted to opiates, mm. and you know, that's a very real thing. But the the problem is that I had such good health care being in the military that I was just as much of an enabler as her doctors were right. in a lot of ways because I was tacitly condoning it, mm-hmm. even though, you know, we had sat down and had a lot of conversations and sat down and had a lot of heart to hearts, but I just realized she wasn't going to change. And so I also realized that there was going to be no way or at least in my mind, there was no way that a judge would grant me custody of my children knowing that I was active duty. Yep. And so I had a choice to make in my mind. Now, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. I couldn't tell you what would have happened. Yep. But in my mind, that was the outcome. And I felt like my kids were more important than, than my retirement or my career. Right. And so I... I just happened to be at this point where if I accepted, if I accepted the promotion, I would, I was, so my contract was coming to an end. If I accepted the promotion, I would have to go what's called in death, which is essentially basically you don't sign contracts anymore. You're just there until, until they fire you. And so I, and so I chose to get out and that's really the long and the short of it is I, I chose to get a divorce and get out. And, that, and that's what I did. Yeah. When I was, um, not, well, just from experience, I was still active when my second wife and I split up and that's how become, I basically got no custody, like got visitation and like legal custody as far as education, all that stuff. But as far as physical custody, I got none of it, but I couldn't come back to do court shit. I couldn't do any of that because I was, you know, you know, active duty and, and they couldn't be with me with solo. And so, I mean, me and the ex-wife were cordial yeah. now. It's all worked out with the kids. All that's fine. It, it ended up working out okay, but initially it, it sucked because, I mean, I could only come back and see him once every several months, you know, and then when I did, it was a very limited period of time, you know, but so, I mean, I, I, it's it's tough, man. It really is. It's a tough decision to make. Yeah, and I I felt like I felt like if I didn't get my kids out of that situation that they were just going to become more along those lines yeah um or in some shade of that understood and so for that it it was just one of those things i just had i felt like i had to do it i I really felt like i had no choice i get what you're saying as far as uh at least conceptually you know your kids were in a different situation than than mine were mine was more just out of the selfishness and wanting to see them but your was it was more of an urgency in, in that regard but um when when you got out um was it difficult to, to transition in, into civilian life, civilian job, or was it a pretty easy, pretty easy jump? Yeah. You know, that's a good question. Um, I got really lucky. I, I guess I should say that first. Um, so I came back home to, to Tennessee and the, the part of Tennessee I live in has, a very vibrant job community and there's a lot to work to be had specifically government work that, you know, needs some sort of like expertise. Right. And so I was very easily, I, I think I was out for like a month dropping resumes and 
trying to find a job and going to job fairs and doing all the stuff that you're supposed to be doing. Um, and then uh, a friend basically said, Hey, I heard you. I've heard your back. Uh, we've got a position open. If you want to take it, if you can send me your resume, basically, basically you've got the job if you send me the stuff. And so, uh, so I did that and I got the job. And so like, I don't know, I got out in July by September, I was working again. Okay. And so I probably went a whole one month without pay as yeah. far as that goes, like, um, without actually being employed somewhere or getting a paycheck. Yeah. So the, um, the transition was not, was probably not near as hard as it would have been in other circumstances, because yeah. there's a lot of guys that, that are not lucky like that. Uh, you know, you could, you know, I could probably sit here and say, well, you know, I, I tried to choose my careers. I tried to have the resume, um, you know, I tried to set myself up for success, but, and, and part of that is true, but also I never really intended on getting out until I retired. Right. Like I was 13 years in at the time. So I had seven more to go and I was done. And so I was over the hump as far as that goes. Right. I, I had not really planned on getting out, but you know, necessity dictated it. So I did, but I, I would say that the transition was easier for me than most. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I did not particularly view it as being that difficult other than um, other than realizing that you can't the civilian sector is a lot more nuanced political <laughs> in different ways <laughs> yeah. and not as uh, upfront as the military life is. Yeah. I, I had a guy get hired on at this place I was working and um, it was all civilians, engineers, like super awkward and the whole water cooler bullshit. And uh, I was the only vet that worked there. And then they hired a, an air force, an ex air force guy um, that got hired on. And we were talking, I was like, dude, it's finally nice to have like a taste of a toxic work environment again. I've missed this shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> the things that are day yeah. to day when, when you're in, regardless of branch of service, like you can't just look because you know we've joked about this, but you know in, in a normal office environment you can't be like, hey fuckhead, get up and go get me this. Because nobody's you have to. Yeah. You know, it's and I don't know. It's just I, there's something that's nice about that bluntness and honesty that 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 I miss sometimes. Not not the whole yeah. spiel, but just like that aspect of it. Well, and there is there is a certain amount of you man how can i say it like it's it's not even it's not even sometimes it's not even the words you use right okay anyway um it, sometimes it's not even the words you use it's it's just the manner in which you can approach people yes and so it's like hey you jack this up seriously or this cannot happen again ever or right you need to get your shit together yeah even if you say it nicely it's still the direct yep you have become a problem and you need to fix yourself <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so anyway nice well it sounds like you have a lot going on i won't keep you too much longer i got uh 
a, a couple couple more questions and then we can we can wrap whenever you're ready. I know you got kids going to bed. Yeah, you're good. All that good stuff. So I guess one is what since then you transitioned out, you got the job. I mean, that was a while ago. Like what else? What kind of has your journey been? I know you kind of moved back, you built a house. I mean, I know a little personal shit, but like as far as work, all that, like how do you feel like things have gone since you've uh since you've gotten out and have been uh been been a civilian quite some time again? Yeah, I think overall things have gotten I mean, things are definitely better. Like I have I have tons of projects I can do. This kind of goes back to, you know, being, making sure I'm preoccupied and not getting bored. Right. I've got tons of projects to do. I've got more free time than I've ever had in my life. Um, you know, it, I've got a great job. I, I can't complain about that at all. Yeah. It's, um, it's been, you know, so I got a letter in the mail uh, not too long ago like a couple of weeks ago, basically saying that I was eligible to return if I did so, if I wanted to. Oh, and you know, and then you get like every now and then some recruiter will reach out and say, Hey, uh, we had your file on my desk and I just, I wanted to see if you wanted to come back in or something, you yeah. know, something along those lines. And crazy enough, there's that moment of hesitation. Like, ah, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe and then you realize what you would have to give up right and it's just it's just no it, yeah. it's just i can't do it yeah i, I don't um, see i don't have to worry about that i I'm, I'm not eligible to to join again i got my good old med discharge with a not eligible for coming back in bitch so yeah yeah that's all right yeah it's just like i said there is there's still a little bit of a tug there. Yeah, there, there really is, but it's not enough. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know if you've because you're in a very different situation. But for me, every now and then, like I was never one. We were older when we went in. I kind of knew what I was getting into, and uh, you know, I was indifferent to a lot of shit. But like over the years since I've been out, every now I'm like, man, that was some of that was uh that wasn't too bad. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't mind having having some of that again. But then when it comes down to it, no. But you know, there's elements. Yeah, there are, there are moments. And then you, you kind of look back at, for me, the biggest thing is looking back at that potential retirement check. Exactly. And it's like, man, yeah, I could have, and you know, it's just, uh, it's out there, yeah. but like you said, it's, it just, it's, it can't happen. Yeah. I don't know what it would take to get me to get me back in, but it would. <laughs> Hundred hundred thousand dollar re-up bonus. Uh, yeah, it would take a lot. It's, <laughs> and 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 who knows, even then it would be like, I don't know. <laughs> but Oh man. But yeah, overall I, I would say that I've been very fortunate and um and that I got I got lucky in a lot of ways. Some of it was you know, some of it was preparation and yeah and training and other things, and then some of it was just Right place, right time, just lucky. Yeah. Yep. And it's kind of ca count your blessings. Yeah, for sure. So I've got uh, two questions that I usually end in the show with. Um, now, and one, and I, every, again, everybody's situation is different. There might have been, you know, there's issues that affect some people more than others. You know, all that shit. We all know that. But um, you've known quite a few people. If, if you 
could give some advice to somebody that's coming out, um, that's experienced some shit or has having a hard time dealing with it or just having a hard time transitioning, uh, what advice would you, would you throw out to them? Yeah. You know, I think, I think the, like the VA probably has some decent resources out there. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't tell you what they are, Yeah, but you know, maybe there's something out there for somebody who's transitioning. I think, like I said, for me, it was, for me, it was, it was the network of people that I knew um, and friends that I had grown up with. And a lot of it was just getting, getting an early jump on it. Like I, I, when I got out, I took my resume and I just walked in to -hmm. people. Like, like I went to, I went to the, the NASA center here and and found the IG office so the inspector general's office and went right up to the to the guy in charge and set my resume down and and told him I'm looking for a job yeah and sometimes and I I should preface this I did not get that job but (laughs) that's some balls though (laughs) yeah well and the guy you know what was crazy is the guy said look let me make some phone calls. Let me keep your resume. I'm going to ask around because it turned out that he was a CID agent once upon a time. Okay. And he kind of knew where I was coming from. And I think that, I think that you might, if, if you're getting out, you might find more people that can sympathize with your, with your position or state or circumstances than you think, are, are actually out there. Okay. And so you might be able, if you just kind of put some initiative in and do something crazy, it, it might end up paying off for you. All right. Um, All right. That's what I would say. Okay. And then, uh, last one is as somebody that's been through, um, some shit and coming back home, um, anything that you would say to, or if you, if, there's someone that's a civilian on the side, whether it be a spouse, whether it be uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, family, um, and somebody's coming back home and having a, or, or whether separating or just back home from coming, whatever, <clears throat> and is having a fucking tough time. What is something they can do to, uh, to to support or ease that if they don't understand what the fuck is going on? God, that's a hard one. Yeah, that's why um, I, want, I want I want Jordan's perspective. Yeah. So, I mean, it's hard, it's hard for anybody. And this is, I don't want to get like super touchy feely about it because that's, but it, part of it's true is like, you can't, you, you don't just, you just don't really know like how deep the, the scars are sometimes. Right. And, and sometimes, sometimes about all you can do is just listen Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know that might that might be the best thing is just just listen and it you know you you don't have to be their psychologist or therapist, um, but there's just there's so much that kind of happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, and everybody's different, you know. Everybody saw it a little differently. Like for people who for people who. Um, 
you know, well, I guess the best way to say it, you could have somebody who's in the same position, in the same vehicle, in the same platoon, in the same column, whatever, marching along, something happens, and it's just a different, and everybody sees it differently. Yeah. And so, a lot of times, even if you've been through the same stuff, it's still not the same. Yeah. And so, about all you can really do is just listen. Yep. Because there's, there's just... You know, it's all about that perception. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. That would be my take on it. No, I, I appreciate that. I think sometimes as just as human beings in general, we have a hard time not trying to, um, with just listening without trying to compare our own experiences to, to give an understanding. Like it's hard for us sometimes to be like, yeah, I don't get it, but you can talk to me all you fucking want as opposed to trying to make sense of it by making some type of personal comparison. That's not the fucking same. Um, I think that can be a a frustrating thing for some people that are trying to communicate that are like, somebody's like, well, yeah, I I know because of blah, blah, blah. Like, no, you don't fucking get it. Please, please just stop talking. (laughs) Yeah, I think it, and I think it goes both ways yeah. with that. Like, there's a certain amount of, there's a certain amount of realization that that veterans need to know because I think sometimes veterans can be a little entitled. Yeah, and that's just my my take on it. I but want my I want my goddamn ten like, yeah. percent. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. In fact, I found out the other day my ex wife is still using her military id which is expired to get discounts <laughs> so it's like the wives are the worst <laughs> right i mean she should have turned that stuff in years ago yeah. but whatever <laughs> so i i think you you also have to realize that like if somebody's sitting down and listening to you like if you're the vet and you're talking right yeah they're they actually care yep and you can't throw that back in their face like you don't know what it's like, blah, blah, blah. Because of course they don't know. Right. But they're still sitting there yeah. and they're still trying. Yep. And so sometimes, you know, sometimes it, it has to go both ways. Yep. Um, and it took me, it took me years to get through the anger. Like I, it, especially at first, it took me a while. Um, and so that's, but you know, it, it just, it just takes time and it just takes living a new normal to help you realize that life has changed, I guess. Yeah. That's a, that's a goddamn good quote. You can put that on a fucking sticker. Some, some shit. That was nice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, well, man, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed catching up with you. And like, I will make a promise to actually, you know, talk to you outside of this at some point and, you know, actually catch up and, you know, have a drink or some shit. But, um, I am grateful that you took time to, to be on the show and, uh, you know, talk to me. Yeah, man, best of luck to you. And it sounds great so far. I'm happy, you know, as far as the, as far as the show goes, the, 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 the episode I've listened to was amazing. So I think you're doing a good, a good thing. I think this is great for people. Um, and uh, and yeah, the next time you're in town, call me up. We'll go to the-